Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only to Democracy in Talk Radio of Four and by you, the people. Rachel Moran is our guest, author, writer, blogger, and an activist for the abolition of human trafficking. She is a former prostitute. She is a founding member of Space International, that is, survivors of prostitution abuse calling for enlightenment, and an organization for survivors of prostitution. Her book is entitled Paid For, My Journey Through Prostitution, available at Amazon.com. I have it. It is a good read. In August, Rachel spoke at Demand Abolition in Boston, and on September, uh, and, uh, and she also had a personal meeting with Pope Francis at the Vatican to ask for his endorsement of the Nordic Laws. More than a pleasure to have Rachel on the program. Rachel, good afternoon and welcome. Thank you for having me on, Leslie. Uh, Rachel, first of all, um, uh, let, let's start since the Pope is uh, in the United States and, as you know, spoke to Congress today. Uh, about your meeting with the Pope, um, if you can share some of what that meeting was like, what you uh, proposed to him, and, and what his response was. Well, I met the Pope along with a lot of other people, actually, on the dais. Um, it wasn't a, a personal one-on-one meeting, just to clear that up. Um and I spoke to him briefly for about five minutes, and he was very clear and unequivocal about prostitution in all of its forms um, being slavery. So I was really, really pleased and relieved to hear him say that. Did he know of your past? I ask this because this is a pope that's spoken more about mercy and forgiveness than I think I've heard any other pope in my lifetime, and I'm not a Catholic. Um, He did. He did, yeah. He knew of my past, and... You know, quite honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't be looking for anyone's forgiveness, um, to, to be truthful, Leslie, um, because the way that I understand prostitution is not a matter of the exploited needing to be forgiven. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of people who are unclear on that point, and I suppose it's a long, hard educational slog. You know, whether um, here in the United States where prostitution is illegal but not always enforced and when it is, it is the prostitute, not the consumer or the Johns that are often uh, arrested and certainly don't have their names or reputations smeared. But worldwide, there is whether a turning of heads when something's illegal uh, and not just a tolerance, but in so many countries, uh, buying sex is legal. 
And you believe, uh, along with Amnesty International and so many others, that buying sex should not be legal. This should be considered criminal, correct? That's actually the polar opposite of what Amnesty International believes, although it's certainly what I believe. They want it to be, um, de- they want it to be excuse me, decriminalized, and you say, no, it should not be legal. Um, well, let's, th- these terms, we have to be really clear what, what they mean, Leslie. When I say that I want to see people in prostitution decriminalized, I mean um, people who are overwhelmingly women, but of course men, boys, trans people, everybody who is in the sex trade, I want to see them decriminalized. But those who pay to exploit people in prostitution, I want them criminalized. Now, what Amnesty did in Dublin, uh, my city, on on the 11th of August, was to vote for the entire uh, decriminalization of the sex trade all across the board, including pimps, johns, brothel owners, and every other kind of exploiter out there. It is absolutely the craziest thing that Amnesty have done in their history. And this is not the first mistake Amnesty have made, by the way, but I would think this has got to be the biggest one. Uh, we have less than a minute before the break, so I just want uh, you know people to be clear, and I apologize for my misspeaking, uh, tripping over my tongue there, Rachel, that you believe that prostitution should be decriminalized, but that the pimps, the brothel keepers, the johns, the perpetrators... Um, those who are um, often forcing uh, young girls and boys uh, into uh, prostitution, who are buying their bodies, if you will, and selling them like chattel, they should not be. Uh, they should not be considered the same as prostitutes, and they should be part of the criminal faction. We'll be back with your answer on that. Rachel Moran, author, writer, blogger, and activist for the abolition of human trafficking. We'll be back with her right after this. Don't go away. You want to join us? 8886-LESLIE. Follow me on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. Follow her at Rachel R. Moran, M-O-R-A-N. Back to our guest here on the only true democracy in talk radio of four and by you, the people, more than a pleasure to have with us. Thank you for holding Rachel Moran, author, writer, blogger, and activist for the abolition of human trafficking. Her book is entitled Paid For, My Journey Through Prostitution, available at Amazon.com. Rachel, thank you for holding. Welcome back. So we are clear. You don't want the pimps, the brothel keepers, and the johns to have, you know, to be in the same status and be decriminalized like the prostitutes. And you know this obviously firsthand. Yeah, well, that's exactly right, Leslie. And the thing is, what Amnesty have voted to do is to conflate everybody in the sex trade um, into one one package, as though they were all doing the same thing, as though we weren't actually talking about the exploiters and the exploited here. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And actually what it does is it protects pimps and other exploiters from the law. Now, why anybody would want to vote to protect them from the law is beyond me, but that's what Amnesty have voted to do. And that's what I'm very, very firmly opposed to. And I'm thankfully not alone in this. There is a global network, and we have a lot of good women and men fighting very hard against this in the United States. You know, I have to uh, tell you, I agree with you. Um, If the aim, as Amnesty states, is to remove the stigma 
from uh, women who are or have been prostitutes, especially are, um, so that they'll be less vulnerable to abuse by criminals or operating in the shadows. And and for Amnesty International to call on governments to, quote, ensure that sex workers enjoy full and equal legal, prote- equal legal, re- legal protection from exploitation, traffic, and, and violence, how do you protect them from that if you're decriminalizing the actions of those pimps, brothel keepers, and the consumers, the Johns? Well, exactly, Leslie. It's just nuts. Um, and anyway, we have seen um, it through the fallout in several countries that have gone that route that it does not work. Um, New Zealand is the model that's closest to what Amnesty are calling for. And in New Zealand, um, since the criminalization of the pimps and the Johns back in uh, 2003, we have seen a massive expansion of the New Zealand sex trade. They're now building multi-story brothels, seven, eight stories high, built to accommodate, you know, hundreds and hundreds of men every day. Um, You have more young Maori girls, local Aboriginal girls, than ever before getting involved in prostitution. Street prostitution in Auckland has doubled. This is a government report. Um, So Amnesty don't seem to have done their homework here. They certainly haven't listened to those of us who have been working in the front lines of this issue for decades. You talk about this debate being something in which you have a personal stake, and I know that you're very open in your book, as you have been uh, in your in articles and in television and radio interviews, as you're doing with me now about your past. And I want people to get an understanding of uh, just a glimpse into the life of some of these young women, as it, as it was for you, Rachel, if that's okay. Um, sure, of course. You mentioned um, that you, you, know, you, me- you mentioned that you entered uh, the sex trade at age 14. You were a young girl. You were a teenager. You were not a woman. And you say that most, right? You said, quote, I entered the sex trade as most do before I was even a woman. Most um, girls enter the sex trade young, right? Uh, 13, 14, sometimes even younger than that, as you were, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, Several studies conducted here in the United States have shown the average to be between 12 and 15 years of age. I was actually 14 when I was made homeless, and I was 15 when I went into prostitution. And that it's just the oldest story out there. I mean, it's something that I saw everywhere I looked at that point in my life. And now in my activism, I see it everywhere I go, and I travel all over the globe doing this work. When you were 14 and you were placed in the care of the state, your father um, had committed suicide. Your mother suffered from mental illness. And uh, you you had nowhere to go. And within a year, you say that you were on the streets. You were homeless. Like you said, you had no home. You had no education. You had no skills. What is it about this that, how how is it so many young girls like you were, Rachel, and so many are or have been lured into this? Is it that old thing where the pimp pretends to be your boyfriend, falls in love with you, loves you, and then, you know, uh, makes you feel he loves you? Uh, sex with you and then turns you out and convinces you that, you know, you should prostitute yourself and then you're bringing the money back to him. Is that how it goes? That's how it went for me. But at the same time, and and yes, to answer your question, that's very commonly how it goes. But I think that there is a deeper reason that we need to really be examining here. And it is that women and girls get into prostitution because of the male demand for it. If that male demand didn't exist, there would be no pimps. 
So that's why I say that we have to hit demand as hard as we possibly can. I work with some fantastic groups here in the U.S., one being Demand Abolition, who are based in Boston. And they, um, they really are a great group, and they're very firm about the fact that demand is what needs to be tackled here. And the reality is, if we hit demand hard enough, we wouldn't even need to worry about the pimps because we would have put them out of business. I've always said that it is simple economic supply and demand, and I agree. If they were listing all over the world the names of Johns who are you know, soliciting these prostitutes, I think it would cut into the trade uh, uh, greatly. Going back to when you first started, I want to read something you wrote because um, this, this really affected me. As a woman, I have a son, I have a daughter. I watch documentaries on things like this. And first of all, Rachel, I just want to say I'm so sorry there was no one there for you. When you, uh, because of your circumstances with your mother and father, it's just disgusting to me what we allow happen to our children worldwide, not just in Dublin where you're from, uh, in a city I love, by the way, and uh, my uh, my great grandparents are from um, Galway, the dodgy end of the nation, right? Uh, for seven oh, years. Oh, I love the West. <laughs> now, now, apparently, then it was pretty nasty. But um, for se- for seven years, you wrote, I was bought and sold on the streets that could be ten times in a night. It's hard to describe the full effect of the psychological coercion and how deeply it eroded my confidence. By my late teens, I was using cocaine to dull the pain. You write that you cringe, and you've spoken that you cringe when you hear the words sex work, because selling your body was not a livelihood. This is no resemblance to ordinary employment. Was this a choice, and can a young girl even make a choice when you are in that mental, physical, and emotional space at that age? Because I I don't think you had a choice. I think that you were brainwashed, you were coerced, you were forced. Well, what I believe, Leslie, is that we can never talk about choice without talking about the presence or absence of other equally viable choices. So if your choice is between eating a meal and, you know, given fellatio to a stranger, that's not a choice. It's not a a reasonable, viable choice. So, you know, we throw this word choice around an awful lot in in these debates and also this other nonsense term, agency. And we don't ever look any further, I think, than our own noses a lot of the time, those of us, that is, who have an agenda. so it's very frustrating to me when, when I hear people say, oh, well, you chose. I mean, and in my case, I was 15 when I got in and 22 when I got out. So I've had people say to me, okay, well, you were a minor for the first few years, but from you were 18 till you were 22, at that point you were choosing. So I'm saying, okay, so what? The sexual abuse fairy came along and the stroke of midnight on my 18th birthday and sprinkled a bit of magical, you know, what, sexual abuse fairy dust on my head so that what was happening turned from um, statutory rape and, and sexual violation into some kind of um, reasonable, viable choice. No, it didn't, because by the time I hit 18, I'd already had three years of daily um, bodily invasion by strange men. I had no more education or opportunities at 18 than I'd had at 15. And I also had a rapidly developing narcotic addiction. So it really is a nonsense to pretend that you can divide uh, a stretch of time like that in half and decide that one half was terrible and dreadful and the other half was perfectly okay. 
Uh, you also uh, talk about the um, mindset. You know, there are people out there who argue that women in prostitution sell sex as consenting adults. And you say um, that that's a very, very small minority, right? Primarily white, middle class, Western women who work in escort agencies who are relatively privileged. And that very, very small segment of the sex trade are people uh, that are making good money and have chosen this, correct? Well, that's true. And then we also have these people who have um, worked as what we call cam girls, who've never had to be physically violated in their lives, but still feel that they have a right to label their experience sex work and speak about sex work, as they call it, as if they had any kind of um, any right to that platform, because they don't actually have any experience of what it is that they're advocating for. That really annoys me when we have these cam girls talking about prostitution because there's a world of difference between having to deal with several thousand penises and having to deal with none. When we look at what Amnesty International has proposed, as you said, that you not only disagree but believe they're making a historic mistake, this is a debate you you have said that you have a personal stake in and certainly history and the background in. So what do mm-hmm. you feel is the best way to, to handle this? What would you propose if they said, you know what, Rachel, we're going to put you in charge of uh, sex, the sex trade business and sex trafficking worldwide? You know, what, what, do you, what do you think we need to I understand you need, you know, I agree with you that we need to break down that economic dynamic of supply and demand and, and cut off and, you know, try and, and stop the demand. How do we stop the demand? What are some other things that you see that could Uh, result in the reduction or even elimination of of the sex trade in the future? Well, despite Amnesty's um, nonsensical mistake, I actually do feel very hopeful because we are seeing a lot of shifts around the globe, including here in the USA. I mean, there is great work going on right now in um, cities like Boston and Seattle and Chicago um, and New York, where we're seeing shifts towards arresting the buyers. Um, that's been going on now for several years. Um, in Europe, it's much more, um, much more hopeful and positive because what we have now in uh, Sweden, Norway, Iceland, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, and soon to be in France, is a new legal structure called the Nordic Model. And under the Nordic Model, it gets its name because it originated in the Nordic countries. Um, what we see is the decriminalization of prostituted people, the criminalization of pimps, johns, brothel owners, and also the opening up of exit strategies, so real viable solutions, so that when the police, and I work with the police in Sweden, and I find this fascinating and brilliant, when they arrive at the brothel, they arrive in the company of a social worker, and the first thing they do is they explain to the women that they're not going to be arrested or charged, they haven't broken any laws, So they arrest the sex-buying man, and they leave the uh, social worker to explain to these women what different rights and entitlements they have. And there is support there in the area of housing, child care, education and training, counselling, addiction, and all of the things that women need in order to get out of prostitution. So what it is is basically this three-pronged strategy, and it is very successful. Trafficking has halved in Sweden in this. 15 years since they've had this model. Um, rape is down by 44% in Norway. Um, there's There are reams of reports 
describing and explaining the positive effects. And I think one of the most important of those actually is the normalization um, that, that occurs within that society because what you have now in Sweden is a whole generation of young boys who've grown up with the idea that it's not okay to buy sexual access to a you, woman's You body. know what, you are great, Rachel. We are out of time. I'd love to have you back uh, again on the program. Uh, Andrew, maybe we could you know, use her for you know, one of the uh, pre-tape segments because it's very interesting, especially because I have a son as well. Um, it, it, very true. If, if, you, if you're raised in a certain way, as my husband was, as my brothers were, and as I hope I'm raising my son, you would never purchase, you would never go to a strip club, you would never get a lap dance, you would never buy pornography, and, and you would never hire a prostitute because you respect women too much. And we need to change that dynamic in our societies. Thank you for being with us. Great guest uh, joining us uh, here today. Incredible struggle. Rachel at uh, at Rachel R. Moran, M-O-R-A-N. The website is theprostitutionexperience.com and check out her book, Paid For, My Journey Through Prostitution, available on Amazon.com. Talk Radio News Service coming right up. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.